0: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to a realm where reality intertwines with the inexplicable, where the boundaries of reason dissolve into the shadows of uncertainty. Welcome to the political twilight zone. I am your guide to this enigmatic labyrinth, where politics and power take on life of their own. In this dimension, the threads of truth weave a tapestry of intrigue, challenging our perception of the world we thought we knew. In this world, nothing is as it seems, and the truth lies buried beneath layers of deceit. Prepare to venture where reason meets the unexplained, and where the unexplained might just be the old. One. Hi, everybody! Thanks for joining us here again. You know, I hope no one's getting tired of my uh, opening bumper that I play every time, of the uh, helicopters flying into, uh, flying into battle, uh, playing the uh, Right of the Valkyries by Richard Wagner. But uh, I, I like the imagery because uh, I have a vivid imagination. In that one, I imagine myself uh, that I'm on the helicopter but I'm not in it I'm riding on the rail of the helicopter and I am a viking uh, I have a chain mail shirt a very mm-hmm. fancy winged helmet uh, a nice shield with uh, odin's ravens on it I think and then uh, you know an axe in my uh, belt and a uh, sword in my other hand, hand and I just leap to the ground Possibly from eight or nine feet in the air, because you know that's how I'm that strong, and then I would just rush towards the enemy, and hoping just to intimidate them at that point, or didn't even have to, wouldn't even have to do anything else. So as you can see, I've got some psychological problems with uh, apparently (laughs) a Walter Mitty problem, (laughs) but I did choose the uh, idea of a political Viking because I I think that uh, there are a few things in human history that have disrupted and forced change. Because of uh, changed circumstances, uh, like Vikings longboat rowing rowing up the river had a tendency to make people rethink Blair priorities. Anyway, folks. Also, I want to mention that you can write me, uh, email me at Rick Wagner. That's it, one long name, Rick Wagner, at mail m a i l dot com. I forget to say that enough times, and there are some of you that have it and. And then I realized that, you know, I haven't said it for a while. So please feel free to drop me a line if you want to. Uh, and uh, I appreciate it. I read everything I get. I don't often have time to answer all of them, but I do read all of them. So we're back here. I have, let's see, I have a, uh, I have a bone to pick with uh, this debate thing. We might as well talk a little about the debate. It's been talked to death, of course. Uh, we know that. But uh, to give us a little bit of my take on it for what it's worth, I thought that the most interesting person on the stage was probably Vivek Ramanswani. I mean, not a big surprise. He has all this exuberance. He has plans. <laughs> you know, He has an answer for things. Uh, he may not agree with it every time, but he has an answer. He wants to do things. He wants to take care of business. And he has an enthusiasm that we uh, all appreciate. And he is a tried and true conservative, I think. Now, Various sites out there on the internet will try and find this or that, you know, about him. And no one's perfect. But he, he's pretty good and he was pretty impressive. Now, let's give Pence his due as well, because he was feistier than I thought he would be. Uh, feistier than I thought he was capable of being, for that matter. However, when you get right down to it with Pence, it seems like his his qualifications for that office are experience. Yeah, in in what way? What part of your experience do you really think is going to solve these problems that we have today? I never could quite get my arms around that. The others, uh, DeSantis, who I like a lot, I hear this from a lot of people. I like DeSantis a lot, but he is not a personality juggernaut. He has, uh, you know, he has that problem where he is essentially a little bit of a technocrat. You know, he likes to get in and, and get stuff in the box and work with it in there and move on to the next situation. And he's very good at it. And as a president, I think he'd be a good president. I think we'd be very happy with, with uh, DeSantis. But he's having a hard time defining himself with Trump in the race. Let's face it. For the most part, even though Trump tries to act like they're they're different in, I think, more ways than they are. And DeSantis a little bit. There's not hardly anything that DeSantis disagrees with, with Donald Trump. And if he's in the race, what are you running on? And this I think has been his problem from the beginning. And he's not the most emotional guy. He's not the most charismatic guy. Uh, he's not even close to the most charismatic guy, but he's in a certain situations. If you see him being talked to, uh, out, out of the, you know, stage area, he's pretty, uh, He's pretty personable there, but he does not come across really relatable uh, on the stage, uh, on a, either as a speech or in a debate. If you listen to what he has to say, you'll agree with almost everything. And I believe that he will fulfill his promises. Now, many of these guys, let's not get carried away with the idea that they're going to keep promises. I mean, Nikki Haley, for instance. <laughs> Now, there may be Nikki Haley fans out there. Sorry, I hit my microphone. I was agitated. I'm just trying to, you know, portray uh, charisma. Nikki Haley, if if you're a Nikki Haley fan out there, I'm sorry, but I'm trying to think how many different directions she's been blown on topics over the the years. And I just, I, I, I don't like some of what she has to say. I don't like her position on the Ukraine particularly. It sounds like, you know, we're going to fight to the last Ukrainian and uh, we're going to spend the last dollar to do it because there's nothing more important. And I don't believe that. And I also think she's quite capable of changing at any moment. I I, I don't believe her to be a true conservative and I don't believe her to be someone that will hold a position and get down and fight about a darn thing. I think she is uh, as much part of the Washington establishment as you're going to get. You know, the governor from North Dakota, and I can't say his name's Gromer, uh, I actually liked him. He had some good things to say. And you know he's not going to win this thing, but he had some some good things to say. Asa Hutchinson. Asa Hutchinson. What is he doing in this race? Who is he? I mean, I don't mean like we don't know who he is, former governor of Arkansas. A lot of us know who he is. But, I mean, who is he really? I can't tell. He is shifting all the time. He's done some conservative things. He's done nothing but criticize some other conservative things. Uh, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't trust him to wash my car. It, he's a little, you know, it's like Chris Christie would be the only one that I, I find less tru, it, trust in than uh, Asa Hutchinson. Now, Chris Christie has the advantage of he's a smart guy. Whether you like him or not, you can't take that away from him. He's a very bright fella. And he's quick on his feet. I know he's a big guy, but he's when it comes to the uh, debates and off-the-cuff remarks and going with the flow, he's good at it. You better be ready for him. Remember, he knocked Marco Rubio on his rear end uh, in the first time around, and he's always got something to say and a way to say it. Now, people at the debate didn't like it uh, because he was his whole stick pretty much is attacking Trump in some way or another with and still trying to seem like a conservative so he's got a he's got quite a wrestling match there and he's so completely untrustworthy i know many of you like me when he first popped on the stage when he was governor of new jersey and he said a lot of really interesting things and then towards the end of his tenure he would just flip-flop on stuff you know and then but then we we know that obama was his best friend for a while at least you know the way he behaved and he's uh, he's made a career pretty much out of attacking other Republicans a little bit. So I I just don't know what to think about Tim Scott. I like Tim Scott a lot. I think he would do a good job. He's got a wonderful life story. He's a measured person. Uh, He can speak well unless other people are talking around him. He really couldn't get in the game. I mean, he just didn't—he didn't lace up his shoes and get out there and start playing, you know. The other day, and I—I don't, I don't know what to say to him, you know. I mean, if you—you got to get in the game, you know, and and you can't have kind of this this pattern speech that you want to try and get yourself back into, and it's a little bit of can't we all just get along, a little bit of that, and I think people want a little more of that. I think if he doesn't bounce back here with a a little more charismatic performance and a little more ideas and um, and see showing a little more grit, he's gonna have a hard time. He'll be like doctor you know, doctor Carson. I mean he'll be what somebody that everybody likes, but well, I just don't think he's got the leadership, you know, that uh it's just not coming around. So we'll see how that goes. But uh you know, all in all I thought it was a good chance to see him. Now Trump, of course, you know, with Tucker, you know, blew everybody away. And he talked about all sorts of stuff, as is often the case with Donald Trump is uh, you don't know where the conversation is going to go because sometimes an idea hits him and he's off and running with it. Back on top of June. OK, we're back, everybody. Thanks a lot for hanging around. I think I forgot to say that we are on the radio here. We are on KZZ and KGLN, and that puts us at four different stations. And that, of course, is 1100 and 980 on the AM dials. And I think we can say 100 and, what is it, 100.3 up off KGLN and uh, 92.7 off of the other side of KNZZ on the FM side. You know, the kind of cooler, late night kind of, uh, hey, everybody, let's uh, spin some discs tonight. Remember how FM started out that way? Yeah. Uh, so we appreciate that. And uh, also, you can look at a lot of our stories by going to our, our webpage, com. And you can also... Uh, listen to podcasts of the show if you missed it, or hopefully we're going to have more content up besides just the show pretty soon. I'll let you know. And, uh, but just by going to your Echo device, I guess you could go, you can go to Amazon, you can go to iTunes, you can go to Podbeam. I think you I think we're on, uh, let's see, iHeartRadio. I mean, there's a bunch of places and just look us up for the Rick Wagner show if you want and you can listen on that. We're also on at, uh, of course, uh, not only now, but we're also on at five o'clock on Sunday. So, and you might be listening on Sunday. I don't know. So, uh, I guess I have to talk, uh, about, you know, the, the giant elephant in the room, which of course is Trump's election. This election. God, I hope I get to say that. There we go. I, that's, that's a great slip. His election again. A Re-election, I suppose. Is it a re-election? I guess it would be. No, his uh, arrest in Fulton County, Georgia. I mean, this has just been beat to death, I know. But it's, there's some things that should be brought to light. You know, I mean, think about this. These charges against the former president are not even brought by the federal government. Now, we already have federal government charges. These aren't even brought by an estate attorney general, these are brought by a county prosecutor. Think about opening that door. It's the same thing in New York. New York seems bigger, but it's the same person. I mean, it's just, uh, you know, it's it's, it's not even a, the New York. It's just a slice of New York City uh, that she represents. And they say that, well, it happened here. So now we have just pretty junior league politicians when it comes to the national scale who love publicity and want to use it as springboard for something else, like I'm sure that she'll be trying to run for governor after this or something. And she ran her campaign just like the uh, attorney general, the attorney, the the uh, county prosecutor in New York, uh, Tish, I think it's Letitia, uh, they ran both these people, both ran their campaigns on getting Trump, which is kind of uh, disturbing that you can win by going after that. But these are the kinds of counties that they're in, and so if you're going to let county prosecutors try and tie. The president of the United States or his cabinet members or anything like that to something that happened in their state that isn't clearly a violation of the state law. Say he was fishing without a license, something like that, speeding, you know, but to try and snare them into some manufactured sort of net so that you can drag them in and have your moment in the sun So your son, because you're in an area that detests this particular person, and there's always going to be someplace like that for everybody that's in politics. Think about where that's headed. Just imagine for a minute how how the floodgates have gotten kicked over. This was something that would be unimaginable to the framers, that it would be allowed to go on, especially. And so that's the really important part of this, is... Where does it go from here? I mean, this is clearly an absurdity that's being sacrificed on the altar of political power. That's all it is. And we're standing by and watching it. But it's also a downward arrow on our trajectory as a successful nation. This is not how successful nations handle themselves. It's how people that are spinning down the drain handle themselves. Or tyrannical governments that are trying to hold on to power. And we see these kinds of show trials and arrests in where? Well, of course, we see them in... Uh, we saw them in the Soviet Union. We see them in Russia. We see them in communist China. Uh, we see them anywhere where uh, we see tyranny. Autocracy. That's where you see this stuff. Uh, this is where we see people... Who want this kind of thing because they think that even though it tears down the wall between the vision of and the purpose of justice and politics dissolves that they think somehow that they can control it they think they can ride that tiger I should have started the bumper with uh that music I have from Buck Owens, you know, he's got a tiger by the, he's got a tiger by the tail. It's plain to see. Yeah. Uh, except it's a little too upbeat for something like this. You can't ride the tiger. And you know why that's an important thing to do is because you try and ride the tiger. Well, pretty soon the tiger bucks you off. And now you're at the mercy of the tiger. So saddling the tiger up and riding it out, you know, of the cage. It never ends well for the person that does it. Unfortunately, there's a lot of us in the midst of that that can be harmed by it. You know, during this whole deal, uh, Victor Davis Hanson had something to say on Thursday. And I think he was on, he was on uh, Laura Ingram's show. And I jumped up because I, I knew he'd have something interesting to say. And uh, I wanted to catch it, and some of for the radio show, Dave, didn't hear it. And let me see if I can find it here. I mean, I had to do this myself, so you know, you know what that means. Yeah, here we go. Here we go.
1: States, so they'll also join in, but it's it's all political. It's designed to bankrupt his campaign, to humiliate him, to put his mugshot on every political flyer online in the entire race, and to post his weight. Everything they can do. And it's also, though, Laura, very quickly to establish deterrence. They're telling everybody when this election comes on, if you question how we conduct election anywhere in the United States, no matter how egregious it might seem, that's a criminal offense. And that's a deterrent. And they're going to also tell people, look, if you're on the fence and you're considering being conservative, or liberal, look what the uh, penalties and look what the rewards are and, and so it's it 's insidious what they 're doing and i i, I don 't know under this statute that she's tr- these statutes that she 's trying to create into criminality, Al Gore would be guilty in two thousand. Uh, Barbara Boxer would be guilty in 2004 for questioning the elections in Ohio. Uh, in 2016, Hillary Clinton, uh, Jill Stein, you could probably say those Hollywood B actors that tried to persuade electors to renounce their constitutional duties and vote according to their popular vote, they would be guilty of a RICO Act. You could go all the way down uh, for any dissent. Donald Trump said, find me
0: some votes. He didn't say- yeah, that, I think that that's a summary that I p- couldn't possibly uh, put together any better. I'm really glad I caught it, uh, and I wanted to share that with you guys because I think that it's indicative of the kind of reasoning that we need to start employing here. I mean, this is about deterrence, is exactly what VDH said. This is not only about punishing Trump and keeping him away. They're terribly afraid of Trump and what he would do if he was reelected. And not in the ways that they say, like, oh, he'll bring the country down, he'll take, you know, that's not what they're worried about. They're worried about them. They're worried about this elaborate construct they built over in Washington, D.C. in particular, and in its uh, appendages, which are usually the big cities that live and breathe by the sort of uh, permission, if you want to call it that, uh, the money, the assistance, the you know, things get pumped into incredibly dumb ideas into the big cities uh, of the federal government. So it's it's like a construct, and it has octopus-type ties across the country to the big cities that want to support D.C. because it supports them. And here we are. That's what it is, and that's all it is. I mean, obviously, they want Donald Trump gone because they're afraid of what he'll do, that he has the ability... To take apart this system. Well, he believes he does. I'm not so sure that this system, we're seeing it fight back now. This is, this is a terrifically powerful system. Do not kid yourself. And I don't think you guys are. I don't know how Donald Trump takes it. Uh, He takes more abuse and the kinds of uh, calumny about himself and things that I, I don't think that many people could do. That all by himself is pretty shocking and, and I think, to some extent, almost heroic. Uh, He certainly has his problems. We all know what they are. But commitment to purpose and the ability to push forward and just kind of, you know, bulldoze ahead to get what's done that he believes needs to be what's done, what he believes what is to be done. (laughs) I haven't seen anything like it. And neither have they. That's why they're this way. This jail that they put him through, you know, is under uh, federal uh, oversight because it's so dangerous, overrun, and has so much crime in it, and yet the district attorney in this county, who has jurisdiction over this jail, has done nothing except prosecute Donald Trump. How can people who live in this county, who are spending tens of thousands of dollars, maybe more than tens of thousands of dollars, uh, on this, and yet live in this way I think it's,
1: it's to the company store
0: yes well we're back I appreciate you sticking around I was thinking about some of the last thing I said at the in the last segment where I was talking about uh, how people can sort of live with themselves and uh, just feel res- you know, how, what kind of responsibility do they have when they live in a place like Fulton County Georgia crime ridden jails under federal supervision it's extremely dangerous there's a uh, Apparently, a lot of violence in it, the whole kind of thing. And yet, this district attorney spends her time and a ton of taxpayer dollars. And just think about how much this day that they booked Donald Trump uh, into the jail cost them. Just in terms of public safety resources. How much money, how much manpower, all that kind of stuff. Just to get that done. And yet she ran on a platform to do this so what does that say it's beginning to say that we have such a marked contrast between a number of urban centers and the rest of the country it's a little bit staggering that's why people say well the country could fall apart you know and come and become two or three different nations or that was what the soviets thought in the uh, 60s they had uh, quite the theory that the united states would probably split apart into three separate sections you know we talked about that a couple years ago on the show and they're geographic sections the problem now is it's not so much geographic as it is lifestyle right it's now an urban suburban rural divide the uh urban elites, as they would like to say, you know, the ones that are passing out on the sidewalks and that uh, have absolutely no idea of how to run finances or, you know, how to save a dollar. Yeah, those elites Uh, in the cities are sort of one end and the other end, it's the sensible people. Who have to work for a living and live in the rest of the country, and there's sort of a buffer zone, kind of a, you know, kind of a DMZ, a demilitarized zone there between those groups that is in some of the suburbs, where you know they're probably a little squishy on things, but uh, they really don't want to live in the city and uh, you know be robbed at knife point regularly and have the guy out of jail before he gets up before you get off work that day and at the same time they're just constantly bombarded with this idea that oh the people that live out there in the rest of the country you know the guys that are farmers and ranchers and truck drivers and stuff well, they might be they might be maga people and you know we know that's a bad thing and so they just that's kind of the dmz i think and so how do you divide that up let's say you wanted to divide that up how how would you do it i mean would you Sort of, you know, say, well, we'll take this part of the country and everybody that's conservative will move here and everybody that's a liberal can move to this other part and let's all just be hunky dory. I don't think that's going to happen. Especially since we need the urban, some of the urban environments uh, for processing, financial stuff, and so forth. Although well, that's slipping away. The amount of people that are, rather businesses that have been moving away from like New York City, uh, and down to Florida especially, and other places uh, is pretty large now, partly because of the tax situation, the safety situation, that kind of thing. A lot of California businesses have been moving to Texas, turning Austin even into a more liberal part of Texas. And But many of them are also going to Arizona, and a lot of them aren't necessarily liberal. They're just refugees. I mean, we want to talk about refugees coming across our southern border. What about the refugees coming across California's border? Who's helping them? Who's giving them tents? Meals. (laughs) Transporting them to other parts of the country for free. You know, if you're staggering out of California because you can't afford to live there and the regulation and taxation are so onerous that you can't survive there uh, in any kind of prosperity, what makes you any different than some of these people coming across the southern border? Where's your blanket? Where's your tent? Where's your free airplane ticket, huh? Huh? And getting put up in a hotel places while you try and get settled down, they're not giving them anything so how would you how would you divide that up? I don't know. it's one of the most fascinating uh, things that you'll see now we do see in in one sense that you have the coastal elites that if you run up and down the coast from let's say Massachusetts down to Oh, South Carolina it starts changing. And now, unfortunately, on the West Coast, you run from Seattle, all to Oregon, most of the coastal California. But it's only inland about a hundred miles. And that starts changing again. So there are these strips on each end. I guess we could make them their own countries. They could even choose their own names. I'd be fine with that. We could trade with them, you know, we could trade some beads, for instance, for some land or something but uh i don't still see that happening so we just got to take back the whole country in some way and get some sort of balance going on part of what made america a great nation was that we had a lot of balance we had of course the melting pot that's now turned into the salad bowl that is now the warring salad bowl with different parts of the salad attacking one another but uh you know it it was an idea that you could at least get some kind of agreement on a majority of things that had to do with the common good and that would be balanced out or that would balance out the differences that people felt on certain subjects now there are so many points of disagreement that uh, there's no balance at all i mean if you're on one side you're way strong on something and if you're on another you're way strong on another and there's a lot of uh, i don't know hysteria out there that translates itself into virtue. It's a strange thing. If you walk around, now, a friend of mine likes to go on walks, and I think, by the way, I'd recommend this to everybody, Uh, memory walk, not memory walks, uh, learning walks, as she calls them, goes on a long walk lots of times, picks a podcast about something that instead of being entertaining, maybe that has something she wants to learn about, you know, some something with history or something with business or finance. You, you know what it is. And just go on a walk uh, with some headphones and uh, listen to that, you know, through your phone. And she finds that to be, you know, very helpful. Now, lots of times you just want some solitude. Other times you want to listen to something entertaining. But I think that the whole idea of a learning walk is kind of cool. But while you're out doing these things... Uh, especially where we're near where I'm at now you can walk by some neighborhoods and there's these uh the epitone the the pinnacle of virtue signaling an actual signal in the yard it's a sign and it's usually something like uh hate doesn't live here that's the really that's the best one and i saw one that was written in like hate doesn't live here and it had four languages below it Arab and and, uh, Hispanic, Spanish rather, and uh, a couple I didn't recognize just to make sure that if you're walking by and you're from another country that you knew, by golly, hate didn't live in that house. No siree. And then they're usually backed up by something like love is love and, you you know, that kind of stuff. And, you know, virtue signaling is a lot of fun for these people. It's exciting. It makes them feel part of something. Uh, and they, you know, they can have a uniform if you'd like. I mean, we kind of get a sense of it sometimes. But, you know, the the early masking up is kind of, a, you know, the, the sense of that. But I thought about that. And, and what made me so interested about it was I have a pretty good notion that if you walked up to that door and you said, Hello, I'm canvassing for Donald Trump, and I'd like to hear what your opinions are and see if we could change your mind and you might vote for him. I'm going to guess that there's not a love that's going to come out of that doorway at you. And in many cases, what you're going to get is feel a lot like hate. So what the signs really say is hate doesn't live here for everything we believe in, but it's in the basement and we'll let it out at any moment if something we don't agree with shows up. It just feels that way, doesn't it? Well, you know, society and the culture has turned everything polar. There's no uh, agreement anymore. There's Everything is at so, some extreme position. And the conservatives didn't used to be as extreme, and they're still not. But I, I feel that some of the conservative sites that I visit and some of the people I talk to ha- have become so defensive that it's made them, you know, a little more aggressive about it. And you, And you can't fall into that because then pretty soon... You're as bad as they are. But it is difficult to know what to do. I think that it's, it's troubling for people to see this vilification that comes from the other side. And, and, you know, I've talked about this before, that I think it's this one-upmanship. And I think it's been going on for a while, but I just really saw it with Trump, who seems to really turn the key of lunacy for these uh, left-wingers was where if you said you didn't like him, we've talked about this before, Then the next person says, well, I hate him, and the next person says, you know, I'd like to throw a brick at him, and the next person says something, you know, I'd like to, you know, you'd be Madonna, talk about doing things to the White House, and it just keeps going up and up and up, and then people hear about it, and it just seems like a normal thing to say. And, of course, there's enough deranged people out there that when they hear stuff like that, they think that it's that it needs action. I mean, they're already probably hearing voices telling them what to do. Now they're actually hearing voices that they think are telling them what to do. So there's an inherent danger in that. I mean, it's free speech. We just have to know that free speech lots of times carries a price. And we have to be careful with violence. Now, what the courts have said about violent rhetoric, and the libs hate this because they they want just an inference of anything to be called violent or hateful and you to be probably jailed to say it when you say it. But the courts have said that speech, even speech that intends to, seems like it's inciting violence, needs to be immediate, imminent. Now, if you say, let's go get, you know, let's go attack the Pentagon. Come on, who's with me? Uh, that is speech that is inciting violence right now. Right? And then, if, but if you say the same thing, say someday people ought to go, well, that's not imminent. And that used to be kind of the test for that. I'm not so sure that's standing up anymore. It's certainly nothing like that on the social media areas. And, that, of course, we know that's something that no one's ever anticipated in the past was how pervasive social media was. And how dependent people have become on it. You know, we talked last week about how there's, you know, 43% of parents don't know how people raise children without a smartphone. I mean, I talked to a couple people about that and they were just chilled by that. <laughs> I mean, people used to say, well, they just plop their kids down and let the TV raise their kids. Hope <laughs> no, not so simple anymore. Uh, the TV might be on, but the, uh, the head of the household is in someone's pocket. And if there's any difficult questions, that's where it's coming from. And that really got under a lot of people's uh, skin when they started thinking about that. And it should. Because they apparently have no historical upbringing, about upbringing, to rely on. It's really kind of crazy. Hey, I wanted to talk a minute, too, about uh, Oppenheimer. You know, you guys out there uh, probably uh, are planning on seeing it. It's supposed to be a pretty good movie. I like the... uh, lead guy in it, Cillian um, Murphy, I think. Oh, jeez. I can't believe I forgot it. He's very good. I've seen him in a couple of things. And he's in a really good British show. And I think it's on Netflix or something like that. And it's called Peaky Blinders. And I've not mentioned it before. uh, Peaky, P-E-A-K-Y, Blinders, just like that, B-L-I-N-D-E-R-S. And it's about uh, some of these gangs and the rise of these gangs it's a, it's a you know it's sort of a godfathery kind of thing in post world war 1 britain and the acting's really good in it and it's really interesting and since it's a little bit foreign to us it just kind of kind of kind of get a sense of a of britain which is like us but not really us so I, I just recommend that too but apparently there's some things that they're leaving they've left out now oppenheimer was a member of the Communist Party. His wife was, too, and his uh, paramour. He, apparently, later in life, said that that was just, you know, sort of what amounted to a useful indiscretion and this and that. It remains to be seen what his thoughts really were. Now, certainly he wasn't as committed to that as many. Remember, and I hope you guys remember to pass this on to people, because I know you know it, and probably assume others do, but do not assume that anybody under the age of probably 35 or maybe 40 really knows that the Soviet Union was allied with Nazi Germany at the beginning of World War One, And they also invaded Poland at the same time as the Nazis did, which is what kicked off World War Two. Did I say World War One? Yeah, probably did. Uh, what kicked off World War Two? And then they invaded Finland, which we've talked about too, as a time when they were allied with Nazi Germany. And so people don't understand that. And as a outcome of that, the Communist Party in the Soviet Union had a lot of agents in the United States, but clearly that's just kind of their hobby, and they were agitating to keep America out of the war because they were on the side of the Germans, and I guess the Italians, and theoretically the Japanese, but they had all these people working in the United States, and there was, there was quite a number of them. There was all these peace movements and things like that. Uh, some of them were legitimately uh, for people who were didn't want to see war, but many of them that were funded and guided by the Soviet Union to try and keep America out of the war, because everybody worried that if America got in the war, it would change the dynamic, and of course it did. So they were all over trying to discredit the idea of getting into the war, being an isolationist, all kinds of things. And then uh, when Operation Barbarossa came around, where the uh, Germans turned on the Soviets and attacked them, these people in America all of a sudden changed their tune. They thought it was incredibly important that America get into the war (laughs) and stop the Germans. And that is an interesting twist that I think a lot of people know but as you start getting down to the younger and younger group the amount of that that they know is starting to get to be percentages in the single digits Um, they know that there was a Soviet Union at some point and it was somewhere maybe in Europe and that's, that's the percentage that they probably know so they need to realize how this works and that during the time of the atomic bomb, the Russians realized that we were working on heavy water experiments, just like the Germans were. And by the way, the Germans would have got the bomb probably before us if we hadn't have been constantly interrupting their heavy water experiments in, uh, up in Norway. But we were there. Now, we had the Manhattan Project. And, of course, it was in Oak Ridge, Tennessee. And uh, also, the big part in the movie, Los Alamos, New Mexico. And there was a a lot of concern after this about spies, and it all has been sort of written off in history now. That oh, that was part of McCarthyism. These spies, they weren't there weren't that many spies in the government, and or in you know spying for the Russians. Yeah, there were. Now, was it to the extent that uh, McCarthy was trying to bring to light? No, he got out of control. No question about it. And his getting out of control kind of ruined the whole narrative. But, yeah, there were, there were people out there. I mean, the Rosenbergs, Ethel and Julius Rosenberg, who, by the way, people on the far left continue to try and say that they were innocent, passed a lot of the data along that helped the Soviet Union get the atomic bomb. And even though there were people defending them after who said, oh, no, this was a miscarriage of justice, it was this, it was that, even after the fall of the Soviet Union, when people had access to the archives of the NKVD and then subsequently the KGB, it was determined there were lots of cables and communications between the Rosenbergs and the Soviets. Uh, that, at least that's what I've read. And so, but but they were found guilty of passing these on, and this was a whole lot of that. And so uh, there would have been a little interesting to know some more about what was going on around the uh, Manhattan Project, Los Alamos. I think there is one person in there that they identify as a Soviet agent, but there was probably a lot more. I, th- I thought that would be very interesting. And the reason the America America got into the war and were trying so hard to win a war kind of got lost. I mean, there was no real discussion of uh, the Germans and the Soviets getting together. I mean, that just was sort of left out, I understand. And that's in a lot of the movies. I mean, the, the Russians are never mentioned in most modern movies about the Second World War as having anything but enmity for the Germans. If you go back, though, to 1940, 39 to 40, uh, things are very different. And it would be nice for people to learn actual history that way. Because, of course, that has a lot to do with the way things are set up now. And it just shows that, that the world is a complicated place and it's always changing and alliances are always moving around. And for some reason it reminds me of the problem we have of pushing China and the Soviet Union together. I mean, we all know the old thing Kissinger said it, others have said it, that the, the primary purpose of some of our foreign policy is to make sure that the Chinese or the Russians, one of those, one of those, like us better than the other. You know, we have, you know, some influence over them more than the other one does. That just went right out the window. These guys are, you know, we are, we have pushed them together in such a way and have made no effort to try and pry them apart that they have a very significant military advantage over us, over Europe, too, for that matter. And, of course, while all this time is going off, we're expending enormous amounts of treasure and ammunition and technology and everything else with the Ukrainians. We're not replacing it at anything like the rate we're shipping it away. That's probably a bad idea. Is, are they going to attack, uh, you know, San Diego right away? No, but they're going to take Taiwan pretty soon. And they're going to keep pushing and pushing. And they're they're also making all of these inroads. Into various places we don't hear about anymore, China is very big in Africa. They are doing all sorts of projects down there. They have this road and bridge thing where they go in and they say, "Look, we'll build this bridge and we'll do these roads, and then you don't have to have any upfront money. you can just owe us the money." And then they get these governments in Africa so indebted to them that they're sense l- calling the tune for those governments. It's a you know, it's a, not, a, not a bad strategy. All this is taking place, and we're not hearing any reporting about it. We don't know what's going on. In the meantime, we are so interested in, you know, having the technology to transplant uteruses. That's a story, a real story, um, from uh, women to men that, you know, we can't figure out what to do. We'll figure it out, though. Take care, folks.